What's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? Here you are. You're at church. Thanks for coming today. We're glad you're with us. Can we give a huge welcome to everybody with us online here this morning? Let's thank them for being with us as well. So glad that you're with us. If you're on Facebook Live, uh, we'd love it if you just hit the share button, share what God is doing here uh, at ACF Church with your friends, and let people know that, that God is at work in Eagle River. So uh, we're so excited that you're with us today. We are in a series called Explicit Grace, and we're walking through uh, the book of Romans at a fairly quick pace. And so um, it's been a great journey so far. We've only got a couple weeks left. Um, we've been hitting sort of the major bullet points of the book of Romans. Uh, and I've encouraged you to be reading it once a week. And, and that, that's, a, that's an easy task that you should be able to read through the book of Romans once a week and then discussing this in your life groups. And so hopefully that's been really good for you so far. I know our group has had some great discussions about the theology that's, that's given to us in the book of Romans. This is uh, one of the most influential, um, powerful books in the entire New Testament. I think it lays out for us a foundation of what we believe. And uh, in, in a society like we have today, it's pretty important to know what we believe, isn't it? It's pretty important that we understand what it means to be a Christian. And so uh, what we've started off with, uh, week one, we, we laid out just the brokenness and depravity of humanity. And we made this statement that we are broken to the core, needy to the core, evil to the core apart from Christ Jesus. And, and so that's, that's, an, uh, that's like an offensive thing to, to believe and to consider is that we are evil people. We, we don't, uh, we're not good people people that do evil, evil things, but actually uh, we are evil people who do evil things. And uh, again, this is called explicit grace because this is almost an offensive type of, of, of statement. But this is where we have to begin. We have to first realize how broken we are so that we can receive the grace of Jesus. And so we start off with that. We are broken and needy. This levels the playing field. And then the next week we talked about how we are justified by his grace which is just a legal term that means we were guilty of our sin and it's now just as if we had never sinned. It's, it's just as if we had never done those things in the past. And so Christ makes us holy before God, which is really good news, right? But the next question that comes up is, is then why do I still do the things that I do, right? Because you're like, well, if I'm holy, I didn't look holy like 20 minutes ago when I was coming into the parking lot at church and somebody took my parking spot, right? I didn't look so holy yesterday when my kids left a big mess in the kitchen and I screamed at them, you know? I, I didn't look so holy earlier this week when, you know, I cheated on this thing at school or whatever it is. Maybe you don't feel like you look holy and that's the process of sanctification, which is to become holy, and the good news is you don't have to do it on your own. The good news is it's not on you. The good news is that it's Jesus. He works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us to, to shed off these old behaviors and take on these new behaviors. And so it's important that we walk through this um, so that we can get to where we're going this week. Because this week we're going to talk about what it means to love one another. And so it's important that we start off with where we've come from. Otherwise, the message this week will come off uh, as a lot of good moral behavior that we all have to go do, but none of us have really uh, received the, the, the goodness of Jesus and been propelled into it. That's my fear is that, that we would leave church like, hurrah, let's go be a bunch of good-looking Christians and be good to the world, but it's not driven by the gospel, planted deeply in our hearts. And so the book of Romans is this, this process where it first shows us how needy we are, and then it shows us the goodness of God's grace. And then we respond to that grace with this different way of living. 
Last week, Brent did a beautiful job of talking about how we're grafted into the family of God. That one of the benefits of receiving this grace is that we were outcast and separated from God, but now because of his grace, we're welcomed into the family of God. And now we're part of that family and we're welcomed in. So that's good news. Brent made this statement. He said, the Christians of the world should be the most grateful people that exist. Like we should be the most grateful people anywhere because of what Christ has done for us. And this is cool what we have here as a church, isn't it? That we can all be grafted into the same family. I mean, think about it. Look around. We have people from different demographics, uh, different, fr- different social, economic backgrounds, racial backgrounds. And we can all come together and have something that we unify around. And, and maybe you've experienced this like I have, where, where you meet somebody at church and you think, Apart from church, I would have no connection with this person, right? Maybe you grew up like in the inner city and you didn't have much money and you've like had this, this, this really difficult life with a lot of pain, you know, and brokenness in your family. And you meet somebody at church who maybe grew up in a very, um, you know, a very high-end part of town, had a lot of money, you know, not a whole lot of problems growing up. And you both come together at church and the thing that unifies you is you are both broken and in need of the grace of Jesus. And because of his grace, we're both brought into the same family. And that's the cool thing about the family of God is, is how different it is. There really aren't a lot of places, if you look around our society today, that you'd have the blend of people that we have this, this, this morning. So this is something we should appreciate that then propels us to love one another, which is what we're going to talk about today in Romans chapter 12. Paul's going to lay out what it means to love the people around us. And so I just want to like, ask you to take an inventory of yourself. Like, Do you love the people in your life? Do you love the people around you? Now, if you were honest this morning uh, about this, would you say that you have at least one person in your life right now that you've got a problem with? Just raise your hand. If you've got one person in your life, most people, the rest of you are lying in church. So everybody's got a problem. It's it's okay. It's between you and God. Um, Everybody's got, we've got a problem with somebody. This is just life, right? As we go through life, we're going to have issues with people. But, But I would say this. I would say the church could use some help when it comes to loving people. Would you say the church could grow in their love for the world? Yes. Okay, let's get more personal. Would you say that you could grow in your love for the world around you? Yeah, okay, everybody, yep. Yes, we all can grow in our love for the people around us. The problem is it's not just that we don't lack love for people. I would say that we, that we even disdain certain people or hate certain people. And now that's a harsh word, hate. We don't like to use that word too often in our home. But, but it's a word that really describes well how we view certain people. Just, just be honest, certain people you hate. Certain people drive you crazy, right? Maybe it's that neighbor who, who thinks that their dog should use your front yard as like the community bathroom, right? And, and I've had this happen where I'm out mowing my yard. Literally, the mower is running and the neighbor's out there with his dog on the leash just like acting like I'm, I'm like, bro, seriously, come on. And I'm a yard guy. I mean, this is a big problem for me. And so this isn't just a little annoying. Like there's a, there's a hatred for people who use my yard as a bathroom, right? They're dogs, not people too. That'd be really weird. If maybe, I don't know who it is for you. Maybe it's people, um, for me, another thing for me is people who leave their shopping carts out in the parking lot of the grocery store. Is that you? I know you're busy. I know you got a place to go, but put your shopping cart away, right? That's just one of my things, you know? Pick up after yourself. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the person at work that got the promotion, you didn't get it, and so now you've, you've developed some animosity towards that person. Maybe it's the boss that is out to get you. Maybe it's an old relationship. Somebody did something to you or said something to you, and you've got a problem. 
Now, this is just reality, but here's the thing that exists in the church, is Christians are sort of notorious for having these issues on the inside and looking like sugary sweet on the outside. Have you done this? And where you've got a problem with somebody, but you, you act like it's not really there. You act like you don't really have this issue, and you go through life like it's not eating you up on the inside. And I ran across a clip this week that I think perfectly uh, is a picture of this kind of life. Take, take a look at this. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift it, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. <laughs> the, um, pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months. So good. Oh, I love that. What's the little thing the baby comes in later? Does anyone know that? No, that's, it's, what? A it's like a little baby walker comes in, and, and I love that he's like, it's not happening. Let's just act like none of this is happening, and the wife trying to close the door like, I'm not in the camera. Oh, man. I saw that this week, and I'm like, at first you're thinking, dude, just like acknowledge what's going on behind you, right? She's like closing the child in the door. They're screaming. He's like, sorry, sorry, nothing's wrong, nothing's going. I mean, really in that moment, as I'm watching this, I'm like, dude, the best thing you can do is just acknowledge that things are, like, and introduce your child. Hey guys, sorry, this is Susie, like, she's visiting me today, and, 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 and don't just act like it's not going on. It looks, it looks ridiculous, right? It just looks ridiculous, and I feel like this is a perfect picture of what we look like when we've got all these issues in our lives, and we put this silly smile on our face and act like nothing's wrong, and, and the problem isn't just that it, it, it keeps us from getting better, and it keeps us sick without admitting our issues, but the problem is that it keeps us from loving the world as the church is supposed to love the world. It, it actually keeps us from being the church that God wants us to be. And so we're going to open up to Romans chapter 12. Would you stand uh, with me here today? And I'm going to read this passage, and, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into the text this morning. This is Romans 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contib contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will, will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you for the church. None of us really deserve to be here, but God, you have welcomed us here. So God, I pray that uh, we could be unified 
under the same roof today, all acknowledging how broken and needy we are. God, I pray you'd illuminate your word to us today. For the person who's here today and um, needs to feel like they have uh, a support and a family, I pray they'd find a home here at ACF. Uh, God, for the person here who has a deep um, unforgiveness and even hatred for people, um, God, that today there could be a little bit of freedom, that we could all take one step forward to look more like Jesus to the world around us. I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So this passage, Paul, is speaking to a church that I think probably feels a lot of the same things we feel. Um, a church that probably lacked love uh, for the world around them. And, and honestly, I think that that describes much of the church today, is that we struggle to love the world. We struggle to love the people that we interact with. And so Paul is trying to teach them, now that you have been uh, justified and are becoming sanctified, this is what it means to love the people around you. And so he wants to describe love. He wants to put some meat on the bones for what love actually means. Um, and I think that's important for us to do this morning is to get our hands wrapped around what it means to actually love people. Um, because if I'm honest, my definition of love has changed as I've gotten older. So if I think about when I was first engaged to my wife, Amanda, um, when I think of like the Instagram photo picture of what love was in that point of our relationship, it was pro probably like a photo of two people walking down a beach during a sunset, holding hands, you know. It's like an affectionate kind of love, an emotional kind of love. And for a lot of people, that's really what love is. But then what we know is that for me, 13 years later, in our, in our relationship, now my picture of love is more, less like holding hands on the beach and more like, you know, holding somebody's hair back as they're puking their guts out, right? That's love. And, and, and if you've done that, if you're a parent, you've done that with your kids. If you're a spouse, you've probably done that for your, for your wife, you know, like you've, you've held somebody's hair back when they're sick. You've had to do like dirty things, you know, to, to care for people and, and go through hardship and, and really love as you develop in a relationship, it, it gets redefined, doesn't it? Because you learn that, that marriage is, is less about getting something and more about learning to give something, isn't it? I mean, really, that's why God gave us that. It's such a gift that, that, that we have these relationships where people are all up in our business and we have to learn how to deal with them and how to love them. Uh, maybe you've got a friend like that that's in your life and they're just difficult to love, right? But they're, you know, you do, you love them and you put up with certain things about them and, and the reality is they put up with you and they put up with certain things about you and it teaches you things about what love actually looks like. And the beautiful thing here is that Jesus is the embodiment of this kind of love, isn't he? I mean, he didn't show up to the disciples just to hold hands and walk down the beach, right? He showed up so that he might die for the world. That is a different kind of love and Paul is gonna challenge us, the church, to redefine love and to define it more in terms of Jesus than in terms of that Instagram photo we might have in our mind. So what is love? What does it mean to love people? Love means sacrifice. It means giving of yourself. It means going the distance for somebody. So now I want to think, you know, for you to think about like, who do you love? If you were, if you were to say, yeah, Brian, I know that's love. Who is it that you love? If, if I'm honest, the people that I love are people that are close to me, people that are like me. 
It's really easy to love people who are like me. If you come up to me after church and you want to talk about like motors and Jeeps and hunting, dude, we're going to talk for like an hour and a half. I've got plenty to talk to you about. We might go hang out after church. I'm just going to naturally connect with you. If you come up to me after church and you're like, dude, I want to talk about, you know, black ops or video games, I'm just going to glaze over and smile, but I'll have nothing to say, right? And, and, and if I'm honest, like I'm going to gravitate towards people that like what I like, do what I do. Which is why a lot of times Christians sort of become this country club of, of people that believe the same thing, where it's like, if you believe what I believe, you're in, let's hang out. If you don't believe what I believe, then I'm not going to spend time with you. Because we gravitate towards people who like what we like, believe what we believe. How about your family, right? We tend to feel a responsibility for our families, don't we? A certain love for our families. You might be like, I don't love my family. But we feel a responsibility for our families, for your, your siblings or your children or your parents, right? There's a certain love that we have for them. And that's really easy to, to support our, our parents or our friends or our, our close relationships. Uh, I'll never forget my dad. Um, we, were, we were at a football game. So my brother, he's, uh, he got all the height and the strength in our family. And I like to say I got all the talent and the good looks. But my brother has always been bigger than me. He's, he's like a weightlifter. He's six foot four. If you saw us together, you would think that we were not related at all. We don't, we don't look anything alike. But so he's a little kid. And, uh, and this is like, you know, years and years ago. I'm, I'm sitting on the bleachers with my dad. And my brother got into football. And it's his first game. So he's out on the field, and I'm looking out on the field, and he is head and shoulders taller than everybody else on the field. And so the, 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 the coach blows the whistle, or the ref blows the whistle, and the guys all run at each other. It's the first play, and this little dude runs into my brother, falls down, and like passes out. And the kid is out on the ground. My brother's just kind of scratching his head looking at this guy, and the game stops, and people are all running around trying to take care of this kid. And I start hearing this commotion in the bleachers in front of me, and it's the kid's dad. And he starts saying things like, get that kid off the field. He doesn't deserve to be here. He's too big. Like, you should never let that kid on the field. And my dad, I'm looking at my dad, and he is coming out of his skin, right? He is just getting fired up. And all of a sudden, he yells, if your kid can't take the heat, get him off the field. I just remember it. And so I'm thinking, now we're going to be like one of those YouTube videos where the dads are fighting in the stands and people are falling. But there's just this natural tendency to defend those who are close to us, right? I mean, I mean how far would you go for your spouse? or for your parents, or for your kids. I don't know that there's that many people that I would take a bullet for, but I would take a bullet for my kids, right? I'd like to think I would, because they're my kids. I'm close to them. Obviously, I feel a responsibility for them. But when did we start to believe that our responsibility ends at the front door of our house? Like, when did we start to think that, you know, I'm only responsible for those who, who I'm related to, or, or those who, like, I can get something from, or those who are like me? When did that happen? And Paul wants to push on this tendency that we feel a responsibility to, to love and to care for only people who are close to us and like us. And he's going he's gonna to push it far by talking about those who are our enemies. So I want to ask you a question this morning. You write this down. Are you motivated by love or by law? So one of the tendencies in the church is to be motivated by law or the rules or to do the right thing because that's what I'm expected to do. So maybe you feel a responsibility occasionally to do good things. Maybe you're going to leave church here today and you're going to go do some good things because, you know, we read these verses and that's what good Christians are supposed to do. So are you motivated by the law, by what you're supposed to do, or are you motivated by love, 
like who you actually are. And how do you know that? How do you know if you're motivated by law or by love? Because this is really important. So think about it with God. Think about it with God. Now, one of the things that most of you, if you've come up in the church, that you know, like you're, one of the things that we do is we go to church consistently. And so maybe you grew up being taught church is, Sunday is, is, is dedicated to church. Wednesday is dedicated to church. You just go to church during the week. And for some people in our community, if you don't go to church on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, you feel really convicted about that, right? You feel really convicted. But I want to ask you, when you come to church, and, and let's say that it's been a rough week, and then you give like really half-hearted worship at church, are you more convicted by missing church or by giving half-hearted worship to God? Are you more convicted by not being part of this community for one week or when you show up not being present not actually listening, not actually seeking God's voice, and when, when it's time to sing to God, giving him sort of a half-hearted praise. Like, does that convict you in any way? Because if, if, if you're more convicted about missing church than giving half-hearted worship, you may be more motivated by law than by love. Think about it with your giving. So one of the things that we talk about as a church is that we want to lead the way in generosity. We believe that God's people have been given so much, so much, and because of his grace and his, his, his goodness poured out on us, we should be the most generous people in the world. So many of you have been brought up that when you tithe at church, you give your first 10%. It's just what you do, you know? And so you, you drop that in the plate, and that's what, that's what you're supposed to do. But I wonder, do you, do you tithe the first 10% and then spend the other 90 however you want to spend it? Do you feel any conviction about the other part? Is it sort of like the 10% is God's, the rest is mine? And this, this is hard for me, too, because it's easy to just follow the rules. It's easy to do the minimum. It's easy to do what, what is laid out before us. It's much harder to see that everything we have is God's. Everything comes from God. Everything is for God. Ultimately, what he's given us is a tool and a resource to, to build his kingdom. That's much harder to see. So where are you at? How about this? How about, let's say you had a really bad week. Let's say you made some bad decisions, said some things that you're not um, really proud of. Let's say you, maybe you surfed onto that website that you've been trying to avoid going onto, and you feel a little bad about yourself. Do you tend to then, the next week, be motivated to, to live a more righteous and upright life? <laughs> Do you put a couple more extra, extra bucks in the plate at church? Do you, you know, serve that, uh, that, that neighbor in some way or another, go help him scrape his driveway this time of year? Like, do you tend to kind of act a little bit more holy as if to try to earn your way into God's good graces because of the bad things that you do? You may be motivated more by law than by love, if that's the case. How about with the people around you? I want to ask you, how far would you go for the people in your life? How far would you go for them? How many times would you make an effort to right a wrong? Think about this. If you have, an, if you have a problem with somebody, some kind of issue, most Christians feel a responsibility to try to make it right, right? I'm supposed to try to fix this relationship. If you're motivated by law, what you're going to do is you're going to do it once. Anybody, anybody done this? You're like, I did my part. I made the phone call. I did my part. I sent the one text. I sent the one Facebook message, right? I did my part. I said, I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm out. If you do that and you feel no responsibility to continue to lean in to try to make restoration, I wonder, are you more motivated by law than by love. See, Paul is trying to help a church full of people who are motivated by law, who knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing, knew to go to, you know, be part of this Christian community, knew the right things to do, but lacked love for the world around them. You see, Jesus' love 
goes all the way. Jesus' love has no limitations. In fact, he says to us in Matthew 5, 41, he says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And Jesus is flipping all of our perspectives on their head in the Beatitudes, and he's teaching people what it means to truly live a life focused on the kingdom of God. You think, well, you know, somebody says walk a mile, let's just do what he asks. No, let's walk two miles. Let's go the extra mile. So <laughs> earlier this week, a friend of mine, he, uh, he called me up. He's like, hey man, I'm stuck in a ditch. And uh, he was wondering if I could tow him out of the ditch. And I'd just gotten home from work. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, ah, I'm kind of busy. I don't know if I want to do this, right? I don't know if I want to help this guy. And so as he's talking to me, he's telling me his location, and I don't know where he's at. And so I get, you know, on, on my phone, I'm going over to the maps. I'm trying to find out where he's at. And in my mind, what I'm trying to decide is, is how far I'm willing to go for this guy. And, and, and I'm going to decide, am I going to tell him that I'm really busy right now, or am I going to tell him I'm, I'm there for you? I'm going I'm to help you out. And so luckily, he was like three blocks away. And so I was like, dude, I'll be the hero. I, I'll, I'll come save you. So I drove around, and I went over, and I got the kids in the car and, and you know, went and helped this guy out. And it was, it was really easy, got him out of the ditch. And I, so then I'm driving home feeling like a superhero, right? Look at me, I'm so good. I went and helped somebody. This is gonna be perfect for my sermon on Sunday. This is gonna be great, you know? Look at, look at how good I am. And I felt like God said to me, I love you with a love that would go anywhere. I love you with a love that would go to the ends of the earth. I love you with a love that would die for you. And you're impressed with yourself because you drove three blocks to haul somebody out of a ditch. And I wonder, what kind of love do we have? Is it a love that goes all the way? And so let's keep going in the book of Matthew because Jesus describes this well. In verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So what Jesus is referring to here is the law of retaliation, which people were actually taught this. Like, hey, you can love your neighbor, but you don't have to love your enemy. In fact, you can hate your enemies. That's just fine. Just go ahead and hate them. But Jesus says, but I'm going to flip that on slid. I'm going to tell you, you need to love your enemies. And if somebody persecutes you, you should pray for them. The law of retaliation versus the law of love. And then he describes... This thing at the end, it's really interesting. He says, for he being God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's describing God's love for the world. For even those who reject him, even those who resist him. He's saying, you know what? Those people, you know what God does? He gives them rain to help their crops grow. He gives them sunshine. You know, these beautiful mountains. I mean, if you're here today and you're like, I don't believe in God. In fact, maybe, maybe you, you hate God right now. You've got some kind of issue with God. You need to know God still gives you rain. He still gives you mountains. He still gives you maybe a family and friends. There's all kinds of grace. And the theological term is common grace. There's this common grace that whether you love God or reject God, that we all have poured out on us. And so he's using that to describe the kind of love that we should have for the world. That's our kind of love. The kind of love that sends the rain on the just and the unjust, gives the sunshine to the just and the unjust. But that's not how we work naturally, is it? That is not how we work. We are hardwired to retaliate. We are hardwired to fight back, right? If you were to, it just even as a child, if you were to punch one of my kids in the shoulder, you know what they do? 
they punch you back, right? I mean, I, I hope I trained them well. Don't punch my kids, but I, I hope that I trained them well, but they're going to punch you back. That's going to be their natural tendency. We're all hardwired to do this. We, we were driving down the Glen the other day, my wife and I, and we're going down the road, and I'm on my phone, and I look up, and we're doing like 55 miles an hour. And I'm like, what's going on? And I look over again, we're doing 50. Look over again, we're doing 45, and I know what's going on. I look in the mirror, and there's a car right on our tail, right? And, and you've done this, you, so don't judge my wife, right? Because you have done this, where somebody gets on your tail, and your natural, like, there's, I don't know if you know this, there's a physiological response to somebody tailgating, and that's to let your foot off the gas pedal. It's like the muscles in your leg, they just kind of like, they fall, and, and then all of a sudden, you're doing 35 miles an hour on the Glen with this guy right on your tail. Why? Because you'll show them, Right? And if you, if you really let this, this, this response go, the, the foot will move over to the other pedal and begin tapping, right? And you'll tap the pedal just to let them know, hey, I'm going to slam on my brakes and it's going to be your fault if you tailgate me and run into my bumper, right? Because we just have this, this thing. Some of you are worse than others at this, right? This is a struggle. And don't be elbowing the person next to you. This is a struggle for some of us because we don't like to be mistreated. Our natural response is to retaliate. And Jesus is showing us what I think is a better way. It's not the easy way, but it's a better way. Romans 12, 9. Let's go back to the text here. He starts by saying this, let love be genuine. And I love that he starts that way. He describes the kind of love that he's going to talk about as a genuine sort of love. Not some kind of flimsy, fake, manufactured kind of love where, where you leave church today a little motivated to be a better person. And so you go throughout your week trying to do random acts of kindness occasionally to help people, but they don't flow from a deep love that comes from inside of you. You see, that's why I think in many ways the, church, the church's growth and expansion ends up being restricted because people in the church struggle truly loving the community. And we'd say, well, we do good things occasionally. We do nice things for them. Do you love them? Do you love them? Because a good deed does not mean you love somebody. Am I right? I mean, you can do good things for people that you hate. You've done this before. Maybe you have a boss that you just cannot stand, and you're doing good things. It's out of self-preservation, but you're doing good things at work, right? We all have done this, and the problem is there are limitations on that kind of love. You'll only go so far when it comes down to just trying to be motivated by your behavior. But when we get in touch with what the, the book of Romans explains to us, this explicit, life-changing, offensive grace, it's going to cause us to, to well up with a different kind of response to the people around us. Those who have been given much, those who have been loved much, will love much. And so if you're here today and you're like, I lack an authentic love, a genuine love for the world around me, what I'm not telling you to do is just go get your life together. Go do some good deeds and get God off your back. I'm asking you to get in touch with the part of you that would cause you to see the value in the people around you. I want you to get in touch with the part of you that have been saved from so much so that you might go and love the world with that kind of love. I went out uh, earlier this week with my little boy, Grayson. He's five years old and he's a handful. And I love him. And he takes a lot of work. And sometimes I get frustrated. Anybody forget that you love your kids? You ever done this? You ever just forgotten? Like, oops, forgot I love my kids. Yeah, we, we do that. We forget we love our kids. And so we went out, and it was just fun. It was just me and him. The other two weren't with us, so, you know, nobody's pulling hair and screaming in the back seat. And we go and we sit down at uh, Snow City Cafe downtown. 
and uh, he gets the hot chocolate with the whipped cream on the top, right on the lid, the sprinkles, and, and I get a coffee, and we had like 45 minutes to kill. And I'm just sitting there looking at my boy, and he's coloring, and, and in that moment, I just, this sounds weird, but I just remembered how much I love my son. Does that sound weird? It, like, it, I, don't, I didn't even know I needed that, but I did. I, I needed just a moment to remember how much I love my little boy. And I feel like it's affected our relationship for the rest of the week. And I don't know what it is for you, but there are people that you pass every single day who bear the image of God. People with stories and a history and and, and broken relationships and, and addictions and problems, and you pass them every day. And they just sort of become part of the scenery, don't they? You know, there's like stoplights and and roads and just people. And they're just kind of out there. But once in a while, God will open your eyes to somebody and you will see them as a human being. And he will remind you of how valuable they are. And your heart might even break a little bit for what they're going through. We need to find ways to remind ourselves of how much we love people. That's, That's why we do a lot of things that we do as a church. We go and serve together. And when we serve together, Uh, urban mission. They go downtown and and just serve some food to people downtown. When they do that, it helps you tap in to your love for humanity. That's what we want to do. We want a genuine kind of love, not some kind of manufactured love. Why? Because the world around us, they can sniff out fake love all day long, right? They know when it's not real. They know when it's genuine as well. He says, let love be genuine and then abhor what is evil. This word abhor simply means to hate what is evil to hate what is evil. So the problem is we hate people sometimes, but what we're being told to do is not to hate people, but to hate what is evil, right? We're we're to redirect that hatred. And so what's interesting is I think we avoid the word hatred. We think it's it's a bad word. See, hate isn't bad. Misdirected hate is bad. We need to direct our hate towards what is evil. It's important that he put that in there. I mean, I want to ask you, do you hate what is evil? Because if you don't hate what is evil, you'll probably invite it into your house. You'll probably become friends with it. It'll probably become part of your life and you won't even know that it's there anymore. Kind of like that picture on the wall in your living room that you haven't looked at in years. You don't even know it's there until somebody comes. They're like, hey, where'd you get that photo? And you're like, oh yeah, hung that like 10 years ago. I don't know. That's what evil becomes in our lives when we don't hate it. So we're being told by Paul to hate what is evil. So what is evil? Evil is anything that contradicts the truth of God. Anything that contradicts the truth of God. Evil are the lies that that we believe, the lies of the world around us. That's evil. And we're to hate those lies. We're to be those who sniff out the lies in the world around us and to show people what the truth is. So to describe this, I want to go to this kind of obscure passage in the book of Amos, chapter 5. And this is a passage about the people of Israel And what's interesting at this time is that these people are at sort of the pinnacle and the peak of their power as a nation, and yet spiritually they are in the toilet. They're falling apart because they're worshiping all of these other idols. They've created all of these these other things that they're worshiping, and they're also worshiping God, giving sacrifices to God. So they're believing that the lie here, the lie is simply that there is no one God. You just worship as many gods as you want. One of them is bound to be true. You know, just worship them all. And so let me read this. This is how God feels about their worship. It says in verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. 
and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Okay, so pretty harsh words from God, right? So God looks at his people. These are the church people, right? And he's like, hey, your, your feasts, your assemblies, your, your, your church services, I hate them. I hate them. He says, you offer me these offerings, I hate those too. Take them away from me. You're wasting your time. Take away from me the noise of your songs. You guys are making a lot of noise. Maybe you think it sounds pretty, but I hate it. Take away from me that noise. The melody of your harps, I won't listen to it. So this is what God says to his people when they're believing a lie. Because God hates evil and God hates the lie. And so God wants his people to know you are believing a lie. You are believing what is evil. And because of that, your worship, I can't accept it. And one thing to really notice in this is there is no neutrality in the kingdom of God. Like God isn't like, ah, you just need to like, you know, get a little better at worshiping me. Maybe bring me a a few more sacrifices, you know. Maybe you can worship a few less of these idols and, and, and worship me as well. No, God is like, either you are in or you're out. Either you choose me or you, you hate me. But don't, don't try to walk in the middle here worshiping these things the rest of the week and then worshiping me today. So God's like, listen, I hate it. Take it away from me. And what God is trying to do is show them that that's a lie. Don't believe the lie. God is one. There's only one God and he's a jealous God. And he wants your whole heart and your whole life. He doesn't want to be an addition He doesn't want to be a a part of your life. He wants to be your entire life. He's a jealous God. So when you hate what is evil, you call out the lie. Write that down. When you hate what is evil, you call out the lie. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to call out the lies in the world. We want want people in our lives to look at us and and to, to, to look at how we live and to be like, that's the truth. That's the truth. See how he loves his wife? That's, that's the truth there. That's how it's supposed to be. See how that guy pours out himself into other people? That's how it's supposed to be. See how that person raises their kids or loves their friends or cares for people in the community? See that? That is how it's supposed to be. Like, we are like the Snopes.com for humanity. That's what we are as Christians. We're to call out the lies and show people the truth. And you can't do that unless you hate what is evil. You have to hate what is evil. You have to, you have to reject it completely. You have to call it out. Otherwise, it's going to become part of your life. If you ask my daughters what's the worst thing that they can do, they'll tell you it's to lie. I, I was telling them, like, between our relationship, what's the worst thing you can do? They say the same thing. It's to lie, Daddy. We know. It's to lie. Because this breaks our relationship. It's the same thing with God. They are, they are in their worship gatherings, and it's a lie. They're not repenting of their sins and turning to God. He continues on. He says, hold fast what is, to what is good. This word hold fast literally means to cleave or to hold on to like, like you're, you're, you're drowning in an ocean and you got this buoy that you're holding on to. Like you're holding on to what is good for your whole life. Number, verse 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. This word brotherly affection is the word phileo or we get the word Philadelphia. It's this brotherly love, this affection that we can have as a church for each other even though we're so different. Even though maybe you came from a, you know, a Catholic background, this guy came from a Mormon background, this guy came from a Muslim background, this guy came from this city, this guy came from that city. 
We can love each other and be in one community together with this brotherly affection all under the banner of those who have been saved by grace. That's really, that's going to speak to the world, won't it? You guys still with me? You guys still awake? Good. This is good stuff. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then catch this last part. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. I believe this should describe the church. We should be the most honoring people in the world. Like we should outdo each other by showing honor. This is going to speak volumes to people around us. Now when I say that, when I talk about showing honor, the first, uh, typically the first argument that we bring up is, well, what if they're not honorable? What if they're kind of a dishonorable person? Or maybe the word that you use typically is respect. Respect. Uh, what if they're not a respectable person? Should I respect them? Maybe you've said this before, respect is earned, right? Respect is something that's earned. And I have people that talk to me all the time who are struggling in their marriages because of this issue. Because they begin down this cycle of acting disrespectful to each other. And so because one acts disrespectful, the other acts disrespectful, and then we do it together, and then we destroy our relationship. Until one of them is willing to say, I will treat you with respect despite your actions. I'm going to treat you with honor. I'm actually going to lift you up despite what you've said to me, despite what you've done to me. And this is the kind of love that God poured out on us, you guys. This is so key. Romans 5, 7. Let's go back to this passage. It says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows us his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you guys catch that? So while we rejected God, while we hated God, God dies for us. The, the holy for the unholy, the respectable for the disrespectful, the honorable for the dishonorable. That's what God does for us. He doesn't wait on us. Like what if God waited on you to love him and to respect him to do something? What if he's like, I'm just gonna wait for you to, to get this? We can't. We would never get it. He had to go first. Maybe you need to go first today. And, and some of you are like, oh, I don't know, Brian. Here's the thing. Somebody actually came up to me after first service and they're like, what about boundaries? That's a whole other sermon because boundaries are good. And you might have somebody who's toxic and unhealthy and hurtful to you. I am not saying just like stay with them, be best friends with them. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that instead of looking for a way out, the church should look for a way in. By any means possible, you should be looking for a way in to restore the relationship. Write this down. You'll never be lowered by lifting others up. This is the fear, right? But Brian, aren't I, aren't I affirming their terrible behavior by honoring them? No. No more than God was affirming your terrible behavior when he died for you. You're not affirming the behavior. You're not giving them permission. You're simply treating them with the same love that God gave you, lifting them up. So don't believe the lie. The lie is, well, that's going to lower me. That's going to somehow minimize me. I cannot do that. I need to protect myself. Paul says, vengeance is God's. It's not your job. Your job is to love them like Christ loved you. Honor people, even when they don't deserve it. Even when they've done nothing to earn it. You guys, I love this. I think we have a culture of this. This is something we do as a staff. We're constantly honoring each other. As we get together every week, we talk about what we do as a church. 
Somebody will always tell a story about somebody else. Man, man, Wendy did so awesome. She was a rock star this week. You see how she was, you know, teaching and training people? Man, Mason and the band, they did so good this week. Didn't they, didn't they do a good job with that? Even when people are struggling and not hitting, you know, all the marks, we try to elevate people and find a way to honor them. And in that way, we're going to look like Jesus. The godly for the ungodly. The righteous for the unrighteous. The honorable for the dishonorable. Jesus gave us that kind of love. Let me read it in the message translation. It goes like this. Verse 17, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. This is what makes the church the church. This is what sets this community apart from just another country club of people. Is our love for each other and our love for God. This is what people will not be able to look away from and will draw people to this. Some of you come to ACF Church because you were loved by ACF Church. You received love from somebody and it changed your heart towards the church. If there's a thousand people at our church this week, there's a thousand different ways that we should be loving our community. Every single one of you has somebody in your life who has become part of the scenery that needs to become your main attraction, the, the person that you are giving all kinds of attention and love to. I, I met a guy this week and he was, he was talking to me about um, coming to ACF Church and, and I, was, I always ask the question, well, how'd you find the church? Why'd you show up, you know? And he said, well, I don't know, like last year about this time, we, we weren't going to church and, and my daughter saw this banner on a bus outside about a, like a helicopter Easter egg drop and he's like, ah, I guess I'll take you to that. She was really excited about it. And he goes, I showed up and, and he said, you know what struck me about that whole thing, you know? And I'm like, well, it wasn't the Easter eggs falling from the sky because that didn't happen. <laughs> And he's like, you know what struck me? He said, there were hundreds of people wearing these blue shirts. And it's a Saturday. And they could be off doing all kinds of things. And he said, I talked to a ton of those people. I just started talking to them. And when I talked to them, I felt such love from them. And it changed my heart for the church. It changed my heart. So he's like, so we started coming to church and here we are. We're, we're plugged in. We're part of the community. We're excited to be here. One simple, simple moment like that can change somebody's life, you guys. And, and I'm telling you, like, you're not going to get fired up and excited about anything as much as you will by seeing somebody experience the gospel for the first time because you just showed them a little bit of love. Because you were willing to pour out a little bit of what has been poured into you. And so let me ask you, church, are you looking for a way out or are you looking for a way in? Are you motivated by law or by love? Because love goes all the way, and that's who we are as a community. Let's pray together. God, I know there's some open wounds in this room tonight, or today, God, and, and I just, I know there's some issues and some problems that people don't know where to begin with. Father, would you, God, would you infuse them with a love for the unlovable? Would you give them 
a grace and an honor and a respect for those who are living lives that are not honorable and not respectful. God, would you heal broken wounds, broken relationships? And God, would you convict us of all that we've been given? Father, we don't want to go be moralists, doing good things for all the wrong reasons. Father, we want to be those who love because we were loved first. So God, convict us of your deep love for us. I want to pray for someone here this morning. If, if, if you haven't received the love of Jesus, if you've never truly felt his touch, that maybe today is the day that you would open yourself up to that and you'd see how good he is. And there's nothing that we can do to earn his grace. It's only by his goodness that he gives it to us. And God, as we worship here for the next few moments, God, it's my prayer that you wouldn't look down and reject what you see here. But God, that as you look at ACF Church, as we worship for the next few, few moments, God, that, that you would be pleased not because we live perfect and upright lives, God, but because we come to you humbly in repentance. God, we, we come to you asking for your grace. And Father, because you pour it out generously, God, we can come before you with boldness, lifting our hands, lifting our voices in praise. So God, may we be that kind of church that doesn't hold back our praise. God, that when we are broken and needy, we worship you all the more. And God, I believe that you will receive that today. We honor you. We love you, God. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.